0: Well, good morning, and welcome today. All right, there we go. Somebody's, somebody's alive out here. Way to go. Good stuff. Well, we're in our series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we started last week. We talked a little bit about um, our Father in heaven, and we're going to continue that today. And I just want to remind you of a couple of things, if you weren't with us last week, that we touched on. And uh, we talked about God as being a caring Father, as being a consistent Father, as being a close father, and also as being a capable father. And we recognize that God is that kind of a father because he's an eternal heavenly father. We talked about what that means. That is different than a, just a human father. God is a heavenly father, a perfect heavenly father. So today we're launching into kind of a second part of that about what does the name father mean? Where does that, where does that come, What is that all about for us? What's in a name? So perhaps if you've got your... Uh, notes you might be following along with me today as I go through things. But um, one of the most challenging things of any parent or parent-to-be is probably coming up with a name. It's one of the first things that you run into at that time of life when you're going to have a child, and you've maybe been thinking about, what are we going to name this human being that's going to enter the world? What is that name going to be like? And maybe you've had different opinions between you and your spouse about what that name should be. And there are books out there that you can buy that will give you thousands and thousands of potential name possibilities along the way. What are we going to name this child? We know that a name oftentimes carries with it a whole lot about their, hopefully their character or perhaps it's a family name that's been passed down for generations. Maybe it's a name that comes from your family tree somewhere along the line and you want to hook into that heritage that you've had from the past. Your name in particular might have something to do with a family member, a relative, someone that your parents or that they honored, that they wanted to be reminded of, they wanted you to kind of live out that name. But names are incredibly important and we can, we can get strong reactions when we list out some people's names. So today, I'm going to give you a few names and see how you respond to those. Trump, Putin, Leno, Cam Newton, when we throw those kinds of names out there, different reactions for different types of names to us, how we respond to those. Well, the Bible uh, tells us about even before our needs are known, God knows our needs as we call on His name. It says this in Matthew 6-9, This is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Interesting word. What is a name? What does that word hallowed mean? Hallowed. Well, you might want to write this down, but it means to treat with great reverence. It is a word of respect and honor and awe, isn't it? It's a, in Jesus' day, a name carried incredible significance, just as I was speaking a moment ago, because it carried what a heritage or a family and what that was about. The name also was a reflection of the character of the person. And oftentimes people needed to live into their name, they needed to reflect the character that their name represented. What if that was true for us today? That we need to live into the character. Our character needs to be a reflection of our name. Awesome. Awesome. Hallowed be your name. That's that's a way of saying to respect and revere who God is. And God's name. Why do people kind of carelessly throw out God's name? It's amazing to me that people that seem to be use God's name as a curse when it's intended to be a blessing. God's name is a blessing on us. God wants us to understand more and more about who he is, and one of the ways we do that is by understanding kind of the names of God. And not one name for God kind of sums up everything. So God is called a variety of things that are really reflections of his character. So as we look at that today, I'm going to kind of pull out four names of God. There are many that reflect God's character, but I'm going to center in on four today. Well, what does God's name tell us about him? Well, it tells us a lot depending on what name we use. I have lots of names depending on my situation. I can be called dad. I can be called a father, I can be called sweetie, I can be called pastor, I can be called sort of semi-professional painter, I can be called all kinds of things. My wife, when I first met her, was an acquaintance to me, then became a friend, and then kind of an eye-popping beauty to me, then a fiancé, then a wife, then the boss. No, just kidding, anyway. (laughs) I remember one time when we were, I don't know if I've told you this, one time we were with a group of people, and my wife was introducing me to some folks, and she said, this is my husband's spot. She, she didn't mean to say that, but, but names are important to us, and the names of God are important to us. So I want us to look at four names of God today, and if you're following along with, uh, in the notes, you might want to just jot these in as I go through. Well, the first, the first thing about God's name that I want us to look at, in the first name Is talking about this. God wants to supply my needs. God wants to supply my needs. It comes from Jehovah Jireh, meaning God the provider. God is the provider, the one who provides. Jehovah Jireh from Genesis 22. God provides us. Even when we don't know what we need, God does. I'm not talking about what we want. I'm talking about what we need. God is a provider of needs. And He knows even before we ask for things, what we need. He knows if we need time, if we need finances, if we need energy, if we need spiritual direction, God knows those needs that we have. It says in Philippians 4.19, God will supply all that you need from His glorious resources in Christ Jesus. Whatever your most urgent need is, when you ought to consider God as the one who can supply that need, we have to trust that God knows the timing of our needs, but God is Jehovah Jireh, the provider, the one who provides. If you have an insurance policy, it tells you what it covers in your policy. And once you know what it covers, you generally put it away in a drawer or a file somewhere and you forget all about it. Because you're pretty much assured of what it covers. You don't worry about it. You know what's covered. What does God's promise cover in your life? It says God provides all our needs. God provides everything everything that we need amazing that God would know each of the needs that we have and is willing to bring the resources to bear to provide for it but we have to trust him with that we have to know that that's true it says in 2nd Peter 1:3: as you know him better God will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly good life. God will give you everything you need for living life with Him, a truly good, good life. On your outline, if you've got it, if you just pull it out right now, I've got a little assignment for you real quickly, but write down on your outline, on your outline notes, notes right there, what is your most urgent need? Just take a second to do that. Man, one of my most urgent needs is this. Just write it right in there. What is it that you need? And the fact that as you're writing it down, you need to be aware that God's already aware of it. He's well aware of that need. He's concerned for it even before you ask about that need. God knows what it is. God is my provider. God is your provider, Jehovah Jireh. And he's here to meet your needs. God wants to meet your needs. It's part of his character. It's why he's called the provider. Because he wants to meet our needs. Well, here's the second one. God wants to relieve my stress. God wants to relieve my stress. That is the God of peace from Judges 6.24 where it says, God is my peace. Jehovah Shalom. Shalom. We hear people say that. Shalom, meaning peace to you. Peace to you. When I look around, it seems to me that America is kind of running ragged, running all over the place with frustrations and being overstressed and overstimulated, overcommitted, uptight, worried, stressed out about everything, which for most of us, we recognize in our own lives some amount of that, being overstretched, overstressed. God says, I want to be Jehovah Shalom in your life. I want to be the God of peace for you. I want to be the one that provides peace and balance in your life. Let me give you a little stress test right now. Help me out here, okay? You with me? Help me out. I'm just going to give you some some phrases. I want you to complete these phrases as I throw them out to you. I'm ready to throw in the towel. All right, good. I'm just a bundle of nerves. I'm at the end of my all right, this is a pretty smart group this morning. My life is falling. I'm at my wits. I feel like resigning from the human stress, right? Those are all stress lines. They're about like how we can be overstressed with things, and people put those phrases together. We've probably all used some of those phrases in our life because it's true of us when we look at ourselves. We look at ourselves and say, I am stressed out. I am like in over my head. I'm whatever it is. But God wants to relieve our stress. God wants to step in these stressful situations and say, I'm the one that provides peace. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. People go to great lengths to find peace. Whether it's watching television programs that kind of bring calm to them or laughter or whatever, whether it's going on trips, vacations, whether it's spending money on things that they'd like to have that they think will help them, but whether we go on vacations or we buy things or we put things in our garage or whatever we do, at some point, at some point, we have to come back to the reality that those things are still in our life, the stressed issues. And those other things do not meet the needs of peace that we have in life. I don't really have to tell you that. We all know that. We all experience that. It's so easy to get peace pushed out of life and stress to move into life. But God says, I want to move in with peace into your life. I want to be able to remove stress from you. We'll always have stressful situations, but how can we overcome stress with the peace of God? That's what God's about. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Is your life confused? Conflicted? Stressed out? God isn't a God of confusion. He is the one that wants to bring peace to your life. Circumstances get you down. John 14.27, the peace I give you isn't fragile like the peace of the world gives. So don't be troubled and afraid, Jesus said. The world's peace is one kind of peace, but that's not, Jesus said, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a greater peace that God can give us. The difference between God's peace and the world's peace is this. The world's peace is based on circumstances. Change your circumstances. Do this. Get this. Buy this. Enjoy this. But God's peace isn't based on our circumstances. It's based on His character. It's based on who He is. Rock solid God. Jehovah Shalom. God's character is based on peace that He brings us. And we need to move into a relationship of depth with God to discover that kind of peace. God wants to teach you and me how to live in a world of turmoil. Even when our world is a world of turmoil, God wants to teach us how to live in peace with Him. We do that by moving closer to Him, relying more and more upon Him. That's the kind of peace that God brings. God brings peace when we're in His presence, doesn't He? When we allow the stresses to be moved out and His peace to move in. Confidence to trust in Him rather than in our situation. An ability to know that beyond where we're in, God is already moving to supply the needs that we have and cares about who we are. God is a God of peace. Well, here's a second little assignment on your sheet right there right now. If you're doing that, if you're not, do it in your head. What is your greatest stress? Just write it in there. Right now, this is my greatest stress. I am stressed over this. Finances, health, CARES, KIDS, whatever it is. Just write it down. Maybe you've thought about asking God for help in that area. Maybe you haven't. This would be a good time to begin. Begin by saying, God, I'm overwhelmed in this area of my life. It's just totally stressing me out. I need need your peace to come in. And allow me to release that to you. Here's the third one. God wants to heal my hurts. God wants to heal my hurts. From Exodus 15, 26, there's another Hebrew name for God, Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah Rophi. God is my healer, the healing God. God wants to heal your hurts wherever you're hurting. Maybe it's part of that stress piece. But it's amazing when you study the ministry of Jesus how often He was about the business of healing people. He healed lame people and helped them walk. He healed blind people and gave them sight. He healed crippled people. He healed people who were overwhelmed with all kinds of things, not just physical things. Not just that. More than that. Deaf could hear. The major portion of of Jesus was about healing hurts in people's lives, and not just physical hurts. There are other kind of hurts, we all know those. We recognize that there are emotional hurts and scars. It says in Psalm 147.3, and we we talked about this last week, but God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Oftentimes our deepest hurts are emotional hurts. It's hard to let that go. We might break a bone and it might take several weeks to heal, but we might be broken up by an emotional scar, or an emotional concern, or an emotional issue, and it might take 20 or 30 years and we still haven't gotten over it. God cares about those things. He understands those scars, those wounds, and He wants to heal them in your life and in mine. Nobody else can really do that. I want to give you eight words that have to do with healing relationships. They're kind of the secrets to me, kind of the secrets of forgiveness. So I'm going to kind of divide us in half. I'm going to give you guys over on the, you guys over here team 1. Okay, you guys are team 2. All right, got it? So here you go. These are kind of the kind of a secret eight words to forgiveness. So you guys over here have I'm sorry. Let's just practice. You guys just listen in for a minute. But I'm sorry. That's it. Okay, one, two, three. I'm sorry. God, let's meet it this time. I'm sorry. Okay, one more time. I'm sorry. That was much better. Okay, good. We're getting there. All right. You guys hang in there. All right, ready? I was wrong. Got it? I was wrong. Let's try it again. I was wrong. They're pretty strong over here, the I'm sorry group. Okay, I was Okay, one more time. I was wrong. Okay. Now, here's the third part, and this is where it gets tricky because this is everybody. Please forgive me. Okay, ready? Okay, sorry. Okay, one, two, three. Please Please forgive forgive. me. Let's do it again. Please Please forgive forgive. me. Okay, let's put that together. Ready? Ready? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. One more time. No, no, time out. Gotta mean, it, gotta mean 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 it. Okay, one more time. Strong. I'm sorry. I am strong. Please forgive me. Man, I use this all the time. Keeps my marriage going. <laughs> but it's really true. I read this from Proverbs. It says this. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Let me read that one more time. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Some of us have hurts With people that it's hard to get over. Maybe they hurt us with their words, with an action, and we just can't get over it. But when we can't get over it, that unforgiveness resides inside of us. It grows and deepens in a bad way. That's not love. I don't always like to say I'm sorry when I don't think I'm wrong. But sometimes that's what's needed to get the relationship back on track. Are you with me? Sometimes it's what's needed to get a relationship back on track for you to take the first step of saying, hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. When we do that, we act like God acts, we hold the higher piece of God's character, the ability to forgive and bring peace to people. And we begin to heal as God heals a hurt. When we don't do that, we allow that stuff to fester and relationships to break. That is not the Christian community. The Christian community is about being the people of God. And we demonstrate that all the time in the way we live out our relationships. I'm not making this stuff up. It happens to every one of us. So learn to forgive. Someone said this about marriage they said, it takes two great things in a marriage to make it work, it takes two great forgivers. That's good insight. It takes great forgivers to be a part of the body of Christ, to be in the church, because there's no perfect people. So we need to be about the business of forgiving. God wants to heal our hurts. Maybe just take a moment right now and write this down. What is your deepest hurt? Might be the name of someone might be something you're dealing with but what is your deepest just take a minute write that down I love what 2 Corinthians 5:17 says it says when someone becomes a Christian he becomes a brand new person inside he's not the same anymore a new life has begun If you and I live outside of forgiveness and healing of hurts of other people and outside of forgiveness, that new life isn't doing very good. We want to demonstrate the character of God to heal hurts and be people of forgiveness to one another. Here's the fourth and final one. God wants to forgive my faults. Jeremiah 23, 6 says this, God is my righteousness. Righteousness. Jehovah Tidkenu, God is my righteousness. What is righteousness? God wants to make wrong things right, is what righteousness is. Do you have any wrong in your life? God wants to make that right. God is a God of righteousness. Isaiah 43.25 says, I am the God who forgives your sins and i do this because of who i am the god of righteousness is the one who forgives sins because you earn it no because he is jehovah tsidkenu god is my righteousness i need to find righteousness in god and not myself i am the god who forgives sins a while back, I was uh, in my yard at my house, and uh, off to the side off of our house, the, uh, I had a, a pile of uh, firewood, and it was kind of fallen all over the place, and I, I thought, you know, I need to kind of straighten up this pile of firewood. It was my stack of wood, but it was kind of getting down, and it, and so I I went over and there was a, a black tarp, kind of one of those plastic tarps over top But the wind had kind of blown on it and stuff. And I thought, well, I need to straighten everything up in this pile. And I went over and I, as I, I just kind of grabbed the top of this tarp to pull it off so that I could get to the firewood to stack it. I, I pulled the I pulled the tarp off. And as I pulled it off, there it was right on the top of the firewood, this rattlesnake. And I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't really like snakes that much. I thought, okay, got the dogs and put them away and got them out of the way and thought, man, okay, it's a pretty healthy-sized snake at the top of the wood and so I, I thought, I, mean, I don't know what to do. I called, uh, I called like animal control. And animal control said, well, is it inside your house? I said, no. They said, well, then we really can't help you. I go, thanks. <laughs> okay, so then I said, well, what do, what do I do? Well, you can call like a, like a oh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like a snake guy that comes out and gets snakes. So they gave me the number of this guy, and I called him up, and he goes, well, I, I that's really, I don't, you're not in my area. Okay, but my brother-in-law is, and you can call him, so he gave me this guy's n- name, and so I called that guy, and that guy was in Yosemite on vacation. He says, well, I'm nowhere near your house, and I'm not going to, I don't know why my brother-in-law gave you my number right now, I'm not even here. I said, just, just help me with this part. I said, just tell me, <laughs> what would it cost for you to come out and get this snake?" And he said, it costs about $160 an hour. I got real manly (laughs) real quick. I called a friend of mine and I said, hey, Jim, do you know anything about snakes, rattlesnakes? He goes, no, but I'll come over right after work. He got over there really quickly. It was really quickly. By the time he got over there, the snake wasn't there on top of the firewood anymore. So now I'm like, where is this snake? Okay. So I got a hoe out. And uh, then I noticed that I could see the snake, but he had moved down into the pile. Man, I'm making this story way too long. Anyway, but, um, so I took the hoe, and I began to gradually pull pieces of wood out of the pile to eliminate them, and the pile's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, until finally there's only about two pieces of wood, and there's the snake. And my friend Jim got there, and he pulled a couple more pieces before that, and then we got it, and we, we basically got the snake, got the hoe on the snake, and took care of the snake. <laughs> no, but I made these shoes out of no. Um, a rattlesnake will kill you. It can kill you. Sin can kill you. And sometimes we, we move things around, we don't deal with it, it'll hide from us. And we might pull some pieces away a little bit, but it'll still find a place to hide in your life and in mine. We may have some things we know we're dealing with, we always struggle with it in our life, it's poisonous. It doesn't get unpoisoned, it's still poisonous. And we may hide it the best way we can, but unless we get rid of it, it can kill us. God says that's the way it is with sin in your life. And you know, I could pull the wood apart and I could take care of that particular snake, but I can't take care of sin in my life. Can't do it. I not only don't have the strength to do it, I just I don't, I don't have the ability to do that. There's only one piece, person that can eradicate sin in my life, and that's God. On my own, I have no righteousness. I have nothing to stand before God for. But God says my character is I am a God of righteousness. I am the God that forgives sins. And when I forgive sins, they're gone. Do you know that, God? Romans 3, 23 and 24, this comes out of there. This is the good news. It says, all of sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God declares us not guilty of offending Him when we trust in Christ. That's coming out of Romans 3. Because of who God is and what He's done, His righteousness shines. And it can shine in your life and in mine. Apart from God, we can do nothing about our sinfulness. We can act like it's not there. We can pretend like it's not there. We might even trick ourselves into feeling like we're doing better. But the reality is that the sinfulness that we have in our character and who we are can only be eradicated by God. He's the only one. And you know what? He glories in making wrong things right. Because His character is to redeem people, to cleanse people, to bring them health and wholeness so they don't live in a cloud of sinfulness. But that we can go to God and God will continue to forgive sin in our life. But we got to trust Him. We got to ask Him. We got to connect with Him. Let me just ask you to do this right at the bottom of that page. This is the last of those assignments, but why don't you write down maybe your worst fault, or perhaps maybe this is an area of sin that just really has gripped you, and you're struggling with it. Just take a moment to do that. Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. If you just turn to God right now and say, God, would you forgive me of these faults? Would you forgive me of this sin that I wrote down? Would you just, God, would you just forgive? If you just ask God to do that, Just write the word forgiven right over top, whatever you wrote on there. Cross that out and write forgiven. Because that is the God of righteousness. The God of righteousness is the one that crosses out and gets rid of all of that and says, you're forgiven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today that in your name, In your name no other name but in your name we recognize that you are the one that provides for our needs that God it is in your name that we can find peace and hope God today some of us need to be healed of hurts some of us need to ask for forgiveness of those around us today today not tomorrow, but today. We need to exhibit what it is to be a healer in our community. And for some of us today, we need to recognize, God, that You, You are righteousness. You are the one who forgives sins. God, would You speak into our hearts and lives right now Bring us your confidence, your good news, that you are a righteous God that provides all we need to live a godly life with you. We pray that in Jesus' name and in his power. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone, this morning. Welcome. If I didn't get a chance to greet you during the welcome time, just want to say hello and welcome to all of you. Glad that you're all here this morning. We're in our series on the Lord's... Excuse me, on the Lord's Prayer, on on the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. Last week we talked about, uh, in just reviewing that, last week we talked about God as our Father, and we talked about God as a caring Father, as a consistent Father, as a close Father, and also as a capable Father, and that the difference between God as a Father and us who are fathers as human fathers is that God is perfect, right? God is the one who is a heavenly Father. And we talked about that last week. Well, today we're going to talk about the name of God, God's name, Hallowed be your name. What is that about? What does that mean? Well, probably one of the first decisions you have to make as a potential parent is you have to figure out what you're going to name your child. And sometimes that meets with a little bit of, uh, oh, you might kind of come up with different opinions in terms of what that name might be if you've had to name a child yet or not but oftentimes it's like different opinions as to what is a good name and there's like lots of books that have tons and tons of names in them about how you can name your child sometimes we're named for a relative sometimes we're named for somebody that our parents or grandparents thought this was a great person in history and we're named for them when you think about your own name you may have a connection with a, a relative or an ancestor way back, or it may be a name that was just given to you by your parents It has no connection at all, but all of our names are important. In Jesus' day, names were important, very important. So when we look at God's name, we can't boil it down to just one name. God is called by many different names, and those different names are reflections of his character. So we read about God's character and understand who God is through the names that are given to him. It's important to note that in Matthew 6, 9, it says, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, what does that word hallowed mean? It means of reverence or respect to God. And if you're following along with your notes in a few minutes, you might want to just pull that out of your program and have that with you. But what is so special or hallowed about God's name? Why do we revere that name? I'm often struck by the fact that people use the name of God who are probably the, the least reverent of all, yet they are the ones that seem to use God's name in not the most, the most impressive ways. They use God's name uh, in ways that are not reverent at all about who God is. But God's name is supposed to be a blessing and not a curse. It is supposed to be a name in which we honor him with. The name of God. Well, I want to look at several names of God this morning. There are many, but I want to kind of hone in on four of them because I think they give us insights into his character. There's more than just these four, but I want to, uh, I want to use those four. God has many names, depending on who you talk to. I have lots of different names as a person. For some people, I'm called father, dad. Other people, sweetie. Um, Sometimes I'm called pastor or semi-professional painter. I do a little painting. When I first met my wife, she was really an acquaintance. Then she became a friend, and then kind of an eye-popping beauty to me. Then my fiancé, and then my wife, and then the boss. Just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, I remember on one occasion we were with a gathering of people, and Jean was introducing me or, to some folks, and she turned and said, and this is my husband's spot. And I thought, <laughs> obviously a mistake, but um, anyway, we, we do those things. But a name is important. Our names are important to us, who we are, as well as God's names. They give us great insights into his character as well. So today I want to look at four kind of names for God. So if you're following along with your notes this morning, the first area is this, God wants to supply my needs. God wants to supply my needs. That comes from Genesis 22 where God is called Jehovah Jireh, meaning God the provider. God is a provider. It's part of his character. It's his nature to provide. God wants to provide for our needs I'm not talking about all of our wants. I'm talking about what our needs are. God is the provider of the things that we need. It says in Philippians 4.19, God will supply all that you need from His glorious resources in Christ Jesus. Whatever your most urgent need is or what you think it is, you ought to know that even when you're considering that need, God is already well aware of that need. He's already on top of that. He already understands what that need is in your life. For some of us, it's taking the moments of our life to focus in on who God is and that He understands the needs that we have. What does God promise to cover? You know, if you have an insurance policy, you know what it covers. You've read through it. Hopefully, you kind of sat down with somebody, explained it to you, but you basically get what your insurance policy is. But you probably don't carry it with you everywhere you go. Once you've looked at it, you put it away in a file or somewhere else, and you kind of know what's covered in that policy. Well, what is covered in God's policy with us? God covers all of our needs. When we read from 2 Peter 1.3, it says, As you know Him better, God will give you, through His great power, everything you need for living a truly good life. God knows what you and I need to live a good, godly life here on earth. He wants to provide the resources to accomplish that in your life and in mine. Now, let me just give you a little assignment. So if you've got your notes out, you might want to take those out right now. But at the bottom of that first section, this little assignment of this is this. Write down on your outline your most urgent need. I'll just give you a second to do that, but just write down, hey, this is an urgent need in my life. Just write it right on there. I'll be quiet for just a moment. my most urgent need. Even as you're writing that down, God already knows what that need is. He's already well aware of that and wants to be a part of supplying the resources for that need. God is my provider. Jehovah Jireh is that name of God. He wants to meet my needs. Here's the second one. God wants to relieve my stress. God wants to relieve my stress. In Judges 6, 24, we read that God is my peace. Jehovah Shalom. We hear people say that sometimes. Shalom, meaning peace to you. God grants you peace. May peace be upon you, upon your family. Jehovah Shalom. When I look at America, when I think about America, I think, man, America is kind of running ragged right now. We have people oversaturated with things, overstressed with stuff, over-identifying with things, all over the place. Stress is high in America. We're overcommitted and uptight and stressed out, and we're without peace. Yet God says, "I want to be Jehovah Shalom in your life. I want to be the one that brings peace into your life." How does God do that? And why does He do that? Because all of us know we need peace at our core. It's not good when we feel uptight about things, overstressed about things and issues in our life. Let me give you a stress test real quick. You can help me out with this. I've got some phrases for you. You just fill in the blanks out loud as I read them. I'm ready to throw in the towel. There we go. I'm just a bundle of of nerves, but not a bundle of joy. That would be the child piece. That'd be good. That'd be good that'd be good. I'm at the end of my... There you go. I'm at the end of my... Jim, good. Way to go. (laughs) My life is falling. I'm at my wits. I feel like resigning from the human... All of those are about stress, aren't they? Beside the bundle of joy one. But all of those are about, well, that kind of is too. But anyway, they're all about stress. We get overtaxed with stuff, don't we? God wants to relieve our stress. God wants to come in and bring peace where we have stress. People do lots of things to relieve stress and tension in their life. They go for trips. they They buy things. They fill up their garage with stuff. They try to do whatever to relieve stress, but the problem with that is whether we go on a trip or a vacation or purchase things or get whatever it is we get, that at some point when reality settles in, we have to come back down to earth and deal with reality and deal with the stress at hand. How do we do that? God wants to point us to a a way in which we can handle those kinds of things. We can pour pour ourselves into that kind of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily meet reality the peace that our soul is longing for and needs. 1 Corinthians 14:33 says God is not a god of disorder but of peace. Is your life disordered right now, full of conflict and confusion? Maybe it's because you are not close to God when it comes to those areas of your life where you need peace. God isn't a god of confusion. Circumstances get us down. Look what it says in John 14, 27. Jesus said, The peace I give you isn't fragile like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled and afraid. There's a difference between what the world wants to give us in terms of peace and what God wants to give us in terms of peace. What is that difference? Well, the difference that the world gives us is based on our circumstances. It's based on how we attempt to change our circumstances. It's circumstantial peace. But God's peace isn't based on circumstances at all. It is based on God's character. The character of God is a God of peace. God's character is much stronger than our circumstances. Who he is is much greater than what we have or desire. God is about character building and about bringing peace into your life by strengthening your character through him. We need that. Our circumstances change, but God says, "I want you to be strong and peaceful in the midst of your circumstances, and I can do that by bringing myself into your life and into your circumstances." God's peace not based on circumstances. God wants to teach you and me how to live in a world of turmoil and be at peace even in those circumstances. All of us face turmoil. All of us have stress. But how we deal with that is really important. Are we looking to ourselves for those solutions, or are we looking to God to help us through those circumstances, knowing that He is greater? Well, at the bottom of that section, there's another little assignment, and I just want you to take a moment to write down, what is my greatest stress? Just write it in. Take a moment, write, what is your greatest stress? Is it finances? Is it health? Is it relational? What is it? Just write it in there. Maybe it's knowing that God wants to help us with those circumstances, with those stresses. God wants to provide peace in the midst of those things. I am Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace is what God says. Here's the third one. God wants to heal my hurts. In Exodus 15, 26, there's another Hebrew name for God, Jehovah Rophi, which is God my healer. God is a healer. You know, it's interesting when we look at Jesus' life and ministry on earth, almost all of it has to do with healing. Whether he's healing a person blind and giving them sight or lame or crippled, he's dealing with people's needs, whatever they are, in a physical way, God is able to heal. Whether it's a person who has even died like Lazarus, Jesus could bring them to life. Jesus spent the major portion of his time healing hurts in people's lives. He's concerned about your hurt today. He's concerned about the hurts that you have in your life and your needs. We wonder about that sometimes. Where is God today in the midst of our hurts? God is there. We know that all healing is of God, whether it comes from a doctor or some other. That's God's way of healing people through whatever means. God is the healer. He is the one who heals. There are other kinds of hurts, though. There are other kinds of hurts than just physical hurts and pains, aren't there? God cares about those other kind as well. It says in Psalm 147.3, we read this last week, it's God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He's talking about emotional scars. He's talking about our background and our life and our relationships and how those fall apart sometimes, how they get headed in the wrong direction How they cause pain in people's hearts and lives. Maybe you've felt some of that. You can break an arm or a leg and it can heal over time. It can heal over a few months. But I know an awful lot of people who have deep-seated emotional and relational pain that they've been carrying for 20 or 30 years It still hasn't healed up. They haven't allowed God to be the healer in their life in some way. God can do that. He can heal that. He can heal those things when other people cannot. Well, I want to give you kind of um, a secret of forgiveness when it comes to pain and it comes to hurts. Let me give you a secret of forgiveness. I need your help on this. So we know that there's no perfect people here. That's all good. I'm going to divide you in half. So we've got this side of the room right here, Team A, and then we've got Team B over here on this side of the room. You all with me? Okay. So I'm going to give you just... um, kind of eight words, which are kind of a secret of forgiveness, the best one that I know. Eight words is all it is. So we'll start with you guys. I'm going to give you yours. I'm sorry. Okay, you with me? I want you to say that with me. One, two, three. I'm sorry. That was pretty good, but I want you to like to kind of mean it. Okay, like one, two, three. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. There you go. Not angry. That's... <laughs> I'm sorry. I've heard that. How many have heard that? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's no, like genuinely reflective. I'm sorry. A little empathetic. Well, this is great. A little empathetic. One, two, three. I'm sorry. That's much better. Much better. Much better. Much better. All right. Uh, group two here. B. Um, I was wrong. Okay. Can we do that? One, two, three. Okay. Jim. Jim's. Jim's in the accelerated group by himself today. Anyway, one, two, three, I was wrong. Okay, got to hear that a little more, especially from the back, okay? One, two, three, I was wrong. I was wrong. And then this last part is for all of us, okay? And that is, please forgive me. Let's say that together. One, two, three, please forgive me. Let's, Let's say that again. Please forgive me, okay? Need to be saying this. This is good stuff. All right, okay. So we're gonna put it together now. All right, so I'm gonna look at you guys, you guys, and then all of us together. Here we go. All right. Here we go. One, two, three. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please me. That was kind of weak, really. That I'm I'm telling you, that was that was weak. Let's let's do that again. Not angry, but let's do that with a little more feeling. Let's try it again. Okay, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Listen to this verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Let me read that one more time. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Forgiveness is not always easy. Sometimes we're called upon to take the first step in asking someone for forgiveness. I don't always like to ask for forgiveness or say I'm sorry when I don't think I was in the wrong. But that's not God's way. God's way is that we take those steps toward forgiveness because that's healing. That's God's character. When we don't take steps for forgiveness and healing, we don't act in God's character. We act in a human characteristic. And those human characteristics take us the wrong direction in relationships. They don't allow forgiveness. They build bonds and they build barriers between people that people hold on to all the time, even in the church. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Eight words. Awesome. I've had to use those many times in my marriage. That's okay. But we have to learn to take steps toward forgiveness and healing because that's God's nature for us as well, to be people who heal and care about others. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 17, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore, a new life has begun. That's the good news, whether you're seven or 70 that's good news. You're not the same person anymore. God is choosing to make you a healer because he is. He's calling you to be of the healing business with him. Healing hurts and helping other people. That's God's nature. So at the bottom of your little outline right there, in this section, you just write down, what is my deepest hurt? Just take a moment to do that. What is my deepest hurt? And write that down. Write it down and ask God to help you out. Say, God, this is a deep thing for me. I need your help. Because God can handle it when we can't. It may be way too heavy for us. You might have been carrying around this hurt for weeks and months and years. And God wants to eliminate that pain. He wants to bring some healing to your life. God is the healer. I am Jehovah Rophi, the healer. Here's the fourth and final one. God wants to forgive my faults. God wants to forgive my faults. It says in Jeremiah 23, 6, God says, God is my righteousness. Jehovah Tzidkenu, God is righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, God likes to make wrong things right. He wants to make us, when we're off kilter, He wants to put us back on track. He wants to make wrong things right. Do you have anything wrong in your life? I do. God wants to make those things right for me because God is a God of righteousness. Isaiah 43, 25, I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. That's his character. God loves to be a righteous God, to make things right, to make you and I right, and healthy and whole. Why does God forgive? Because you earn it? No. Because he is Jehovah Tsidkenu. He's the God of righteousness. He's the God who loves to forgive. It's a part of God's nature to forgive, to build bridges of hope with people. Hmm. I am the God who forgives your sins. That's what God says. You know, in my backyard, in my house, I, I, have, uh, I was out and about a while ago, and uh, I had kind of a, the, a wood pile. You know, we have a fireplace in our house, had a wood pile, and wood was kind of falling off the pile and kind of going all over the place, I thought, I need to, I need to shape up my wood pile. And I, uh, there was a black plastic kind of tarp sort of thing over top of it to kind of keep it from the rain and all that. And I, I went over and I thought, I need to straighten up the wood pile. And I grabbed the black tarp and I whipped it off over top of the wood. And, and there it was, right on the top of the wood pile, this rattler, this rattlesnake. I mean, he's pretty good size sunning himself or whatever he was doing, but he's right there, not real happy, but he's right there. And I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And so I'm like, whoa, I haven't done a whole lot of that before. So I, I went inside my, I got the dogs put away. I got, went inside my house, got on the phone, called up animal control. And they said, is it inside your house? I said, well, no. And they said, well, we can't help you. Said, well, that's really good. What do I do? So they said, well, you can call like a snake guy. So I called the snake guy, and he said, well, you're not really in my area, but my brother-in-law does your area. Let me give you his phone number. So I called the brother-in-law who happened to be vacationing in Yosemite, and he said, well, I'm not home right now, and I'm thinking, I have a snake right outside my house here. I'm like not excited about that. And he's like, well, okay. And then I thought, I'm going to ask this guy a question. I said, how much would it cost to have a snake person come and get this snake? and he said, $160 an hour. I got real manly right then. <laughs> I got real manly right then. I went outside and I was like, okay, I can see that he's moved, but he's in the woodpile. I called my friend Jim, who, I called my friend Jim, I said, Jim, do you know anything about rattlesnakes? He said, no, but I'll come right over. So Jim came over, and so I took a hoe I know this is getting long. There is a point. Anyway, so I took a hoe and I like started pulling away because now the snake is in the wood pile. I started pulling away the closest pieces of wood away and the wood pile's getting smaller and smaller. And I'm pulling it away and pulling away and Jim comes in and what are you doing? Okay, so he's got a hoe and he's, we're basically dismantling the wood pile until finally we're down to like just a few pieces of wood and there's the snake behind the wood. We got rid of all of that wood, got rid of that, got the hoe, Got he had a hoe, I had a shovel. We basically took care of the snake. Okay, well, okay, okay, so, it's, I mean, that's scary stuff. Because a snake can kill you. A rattlesnake can kill you. Sin can kill you. If you leave it alone, it will just burrow deeper in your life. And you might every once in a while pull across a few pieces out of the way. It'll still stay in there. You have to eradicate the snake. You got to eradicate sin. And you know what? I can't do that on my own. I cannot get rid of sin in my life. I cannot do it. As much as I'd like to, maybe I attempt to look like I'm doing it. Maybe I try to muster up a bunch of courage or whatever it is, thinking that I can overcome it or people will think I'm a... No. No, sin in our life hits all of us and it burrows in. And there is only one way that we can get rid of sin in our life because it will kill us. It's poisonous. It's dangerous. The longer we let it fester in our life, the more difficult it is. But God says, I'm a God of righteousness. I love to remove sin. I love to make things right that are wrong in your life and in mine. That is the good news. Jesus came to eradicate sin in your life and mine. Creeps back in, we know that. But all we have to do is call on his name and he comes right back, takes care of it. That's the blessing of belonging to God. We don't have to live in a wrong relationship, in a dangerous relationship, in an infected relationship. We can live free in God. But we have to seek God. We have to ask God to be righteousness in our life. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned. All of us, no perfect people, all of us have sinned. We all fall short. We come up short. When it comes to eradicating sin, you can't do it. God can. That is the good news. That's the good news. It says that God is the one who forgives our sins. I believe in that. God is Jehovah Tsidkenu, the God of righteousness for you and for me. He sees our needs And apart from him, we can do nothing. When it comes to who we are in our nature, we're sinful beings. It takes God to make us holy in his sight, to make us right with himself. At the bottom, this is the last one, but write down, just write this down. Write down, this is my worst fault. This is a sin that gets me. Just write it in there. Just take a moment, if you're not writing it down in your head, just think, this is my worst fault, this is the sin that just grabs and holds on to me. Our response is to pray and to ask God to relieve that, to take it out, to deal with it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because he is righteous. Now I want you to do something else. I want you to write the word forgiven right across the top of that sin, that fault, that error of your life. Just write the word forgiven because that's what God does. Cross it out. God eradicates our sinfulness when we come to him. That is good news. That is great news. You don't have to feel guilty when God is your righteousness. You don't have to feel alone or worried or afraid or anything. But we do have to lean on Him. That's who God is. Let's pray together.